How you doing then? All right, are you? Now look, Squire, you're the governor here, I can see that. I'm on your manor now, so there's no need to get your niggers in a twist. Whatever this bollocks is that's going down between you and that slag Valentine, it's got nothing to do with me. I couldn't care less, all right, mate? Let me explain to you. When I was in prison, second time, uh, no, tell a lie, third stretch. Yeah, third, third. There was this screw what really had it in for me, and that geezer was top of my list. Two years after I got sprung, I sees him in Ola Park. He's sitting on a bench feeding bloody pigeons. There was no one about. I could have gone up behind him and snapped his fucking neck. Wallop. But I left him. I could have nobbled him, but I didn't. Because what I thought I wanted wasn't what I wanted. What I thought I was thinking about was something else. I didn't give a toss. It didn't matter, see? This burg on the bench wasn't worth my time. It meant sod all in the end, because you've got to make a choice. When to do something and when to let it go. When it matters and when it don't. Bide your time. That's what prison teaches you, if nothing else. Bide your time and everything becomes clear and you can act accordingly. There's one thing I don't understand. The thing I don't understand is every motherfucking word you're saying. You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed On Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 291. And I'm your host, Lee. Who gives a shit about you? Not even God, Russell. <laughs> uh, my co host, Lady Lee, is on her way. Uh, she got stuck in uh, grocery store traffic behind someone who can't get their fucking bank card to work. So uh, she said she'll be here shortly. But uh, we are joined by our special guest, Robbie. You tell him. You tell him I'm coming. Tell him I'm fucking coming. <laughs> Robertson, how you doing, yes, sir? I'm great. That works better if I had blood splatter on my face when I was saying it. But uh, <laughs> Yeah. Robbie floated a suggestion to me for a movie to do and somewhat to pay tribute to uh, the recently departed Barry Newman, who stars in this movie, co-stars in this movie. Uh, but it's one we've wanted to do on the podcast for a long time. So we are going to do the Limey from 1999. But uh, yeah, Robbie, uh, great to have you back. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, excited to talk about the Limey. But before we get into that, uh, we can talk about what we've watched in the last while. I know you have at least one thing. Yeah, it's, uh, actually two things that I've watched uh, in the not-too-distant uh, past. Uh, the original Friday the 13th and Top Gun. Saw both of them in the theater in the last few days. Uh, yeah, yeah. So how, how did they... So I imagine they, they the very least, like, looked really good on the big screen and all, but, like, how did they hold up for you? Um, it, Top Gun was uh, even worse than I remember. 
which, uh, you know, it occupies a, a fair amount of space in my head. You know, I think it just mm-hmm. has kind of a, a cultural space. And then to actually watch it, it's like, well, Tom Cruise looks like he's nine years old. And this is even worse than I remember. Um, <laughs> and Friday the 13th was more or less exactly as I recalled. And it was great to see it up on the big screen. Nice. It, that one, that was a lot of fun. It's funny. Tom Cruise kind of looks now like he should have looked for Top Gun in the 80s, maybe. Yeah. Like, yeah. He kind of looks perpetually like 35 now, even yeah. though he's like, what, 60 something pushing 70? I, I think he's 60 now. Mm. I think he's 60. Yeah. Um, which, which is your favorite Friday the 13th movie? Oh, okay. Now, uh, th- that's kind of a loaded question. I'll tell you this. Uh, I love the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah. I have been I have been to see all of them in the theater opening night since number three uh, okay. in, in uh, 3D. I think almost all of them are truly terrible movies, and I love watching them. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'll watch Jason X anytime. Same. Uh, I will watch uh, Friday the 13th Part 4, mm-hmm. uh, the final chapter anytime. Uh, Jason, part six, Jason lives, yep. you know, uh, th- those are some that really are, are some of the favorites, I guess. Uh, for the longest time, like I, I didn't get to see it for years until years afterwards, but my dad brought home once from, it was like, a he went, he went by like a video store or something on one of his, one of his travels when he was still a salesman. He brought home like a tall, poster of uh jason from uh friday the 13th part part eight jason takes manhattan it was this nice tall fucking poster like it was probably about four feet tall or something like that and for the longest time i was just like enamored with it oh i gotta see this movie i gotta see this movie and then i saw it and i was like oh my god (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's the thing is uh i went to see uh part three in the theater opening night with the Mm -hmm. 3d glasses and the whole thing and it's just kind of become you know, the thing that I do when a new Friday the 13th movie comes out, I go see it in the theater uh, opening night. So, like, I went, when I saw Jason X, I was the only one in the theater. Right. And, you know, that one's, that one's really fun. Like, that one, you know, kind of goes and runs with the uh, ball that uh, part six and seven sort of started with, where it's like, you know what? This stuff's really silly. We should just make fun of it. Yeah, a- absolutely. And so, mm. yeah, I- I'm a big fan of the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah, they're, you know, they're not, it's not one of my favorite series, but it's like the appreciation of like cinematic junk food, basically, you know, that kind of thing. They are Cheetos. You know, that's yeah. the thing is I can sit there and just watch that and the brain turns off and it, you know, it's just filling the time. Yeah. And so yeah. that's what the Friday the 13th movies do for me. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I'll just mention one thing that I watched recently. It just came out on Shudder. Uh, it's Shark Exploitation from uh, this year. It's directed by Steven Scarlatta. He was the guy who produced uh, the uh, other really fine documentary from a few years back, uh, Yodorowsky's Dune. Um, yeah, so, uh, and he's also on the, um, oh, what's the name of that part podcast he's on? Uh, movies, uh something about movies never made. I, I'm fucking blanking on the title, but it's about like they, they go over like scripts and stuff for movies that were never made, you know, uh, like, like the Dune movie. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of a specialty, but shark exploitation. It's really good. I mean, I don't know if you saw that uh, documentary recently, uh, the big one about um, all the folk horror stuff. Uh, no. 
oh, okay, well, um, it's kind of in the same vein as that, although it's not nearly as long. It's it's only like an hour and a half or something like that. But like it, it basically covers everything from early movies with sharks in them to Jaws and how Jaws changed the whole thing and made it a subgenre of shark attack movies. And then it gets into all like the schlocky ones, the right. Italian ripoffs, the modern sci-fi shit. It's pretty good. It, it like covers pretty much everything. It gives you a bunch of films that you probably never heard of that you can, you know, watch. And it's not as annoying as a lot of those sort of modern uh, talking heads kind of documentaries because, you know, they actually have a neat selection of different people. It's not just like a couple like celebrities that right have no real stake in what what the fucking shark movie means to anybody or anything like that they've got like i think they have like a couple of marine biologists and other people oh really yeah okay so it's like a real documentary <laughs> yeah so they're like you know they they talk a little bit about um you know how jaws had that negative effect on perception of sharks and how people were hunting them more and fearing them more after that and and how like a lot of shark populations went drastically down because of that you know especially right. great whites and shit yeah, it was it was really good. It's it's a good little documentary, a nice little time waster, and um, I can't say I learned too much new things, but it, like it was really good for just getting a list of movies that I never heard of. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. I've got a friend who's really into shark exploitation, so I'll have to pass that along to him. Yeah, hi, uh, highly recommended, especially for like fans of the genre. The only other thing I'll mention: a couple. Uh, podcasts appearances out uh, other than this show i was recently on a movie melt podcast we did uh who killed captain alex which is uganda's first action movie from 2010 oh i remember when that i remember seeing some video from that when it came out mm -hmm. how, how was it it's a lot of fun like it, it's it's somewhat in the same like budget level as like all the sort of nigerian like nollywood films that came out recently in the last few years um although they, they take shots at nollywood because uh, they're trying to start their own little film industry in uganda right um but it like the best thing about it is it's just amazing that it got made at all like especially in a place like mm -hmm. uganda where any day there could be like a regime change in uganda you know um and these and these people are like living in basically ghettos like you even go to the capital city of uganda and it looks no different really than the village that this guy lives in that he filmed mm -hmm. it in so uh it's just like an amazing achievement because the guy like built his own computer so he could do like the primitive digital effects and stuff on it wow. editing yeah and he built his own generator so he could uh, have an extra two hours of power outside his house every night because they shut the power grid down at like 10. Just the guy's story and how he got all of his like relatives and the locals in the village to like be in the movie with them. And um, and it's in a, on its own, it's still kind of a fun movie. And the real interesting thing is like Uganda's got this weird cultural thing where the way they watch movies, they kind of do a riff track thing. Like they've got mm. a live they call them like video jockeys or whatever watching the movie with the audience and like riffing on the movie, like as, as they're watching it. So they're like making fun of it and stuff. It's kind of like riff riff tracks, but more personal because you know, the, the people doing it know the movies a lot more well and know the people who made them and stuff like that. So and and, and the, the version of the movie that survives is the version with that 
riff track on it. Okay. So it like it it explains it gives more context, I guess, for Westerners, and it also gives you like a an inroad into the movie, you know, because it, we we understand riff tracks and right. like Western culture kind of thing. So it's like, oh, they're having fun with this, you know. We can get into this. <clears throat> So do they use it for the the track for exposition? Is that part of the the way they approach it, or a, l- a little bit? Yeah, it, 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 if apparently it's a thing they do in the theaters with uh, with how they watch movies in Uganda. So it's uh, okay. Yeah, um, it was it was quite the experience, and yeah, so we did that. And the uh, only other thing I'll mention is uh, my last call at Torchy's podcast side podcast to do with uh, Gary Hill and Cameron Scott. Do the uh, films of Walter Hill. If people are not familiar with that, we're going through them one at a time. Mm-hmm. And we just did Geronimo, an American legend, which was interesting, epic western from Walter Hill. Not mm-hmm. perfect, but it, it it shoots for things. And uh, as the Patreon bonus, we did Ernest Goes to Camp. <laughs> All one, right. One one movie fe- uh, features a real Indian, and one features uh, Eagle Eyes Cody, who was a, a fake Indian. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll put the links for all that stuff in the show notes. And we are joined by uh, my other co-host, uh, Lee. I'm looking for a different kind of satisfaction, Hardy. How are you doing, man? Okay. That is the goal. <laughs> yeah. Different kind yeah. of satisfaction. That is definitely the goal. That is mm-hmm. definitely my goal, at least. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have anything you watched recently mm-hmm. you want to talk about? Um, so I recently watched uh, Daughters of Darkness. Okay, yeah. That's the one I was telling you about. Oh, I drank that too hard. (laughs) (laughs) My poor throat. (laughs) That hurt. (laughs) Anyways, uh, so it's about a newlywed who um, stays at this like deserted hotel because it's like not the season. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of an off season stay. So they have the whole fancy hotel to themselves, basically. But there's this like mysterious lady who finds an attraction to them and she's very odd. And, um, yeah, she basically seduces both of them, and she has like her little sidekick who she uses to like seduce the husband as well, and gets the husband to cheat on the wife, and then it ends up being this thing. It's a really cool movie. I I thought it was really cool. Um, it was I saw it on um on Shutter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say it's more of a a drama versus a horror. But uh, usually I have an issue with these kinds of, like, movies. But I guess it was kind of more psychological horror if because that wasn't, like, a, a jump scare or anything like that. Anyways, either way, really interesting. I enjoyed it. It's kind of a vampire movie, isn't it? It is I'm a vampire movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. yeah. But even though it's, like, a vampire movie, only really one scene do you see the whole vampire thing. So I think they just threw in the vampire thing to try and, I don't know, make it that theme. But they could have done it without, mm. and it still would have worked. So it's like, really just... It's really just a sexy European movie with lots of boobies and stuff. There is boobies. There is boobies. There is lots of boobies. I was going to say there's not that many, but there is. Because the scenes <laughs> are long that have boobies. So, yeah. yeah. Like, there's only, I think, four actors or five actors, six actors in the whole movie, really, that we see. And it's not too many different scenes. Like, you have the motel, um, or sorry, the hotel, that their room, the beach, and then mm-hmm. some other scenes. Like, it's a very small movie but so, uh, up to an, as many as 12 boobies yeah <laughs> <laughs> the one woman we don't see her boobs so it's only four boobies that you see okay. but well worth it uh there's only three women in the movie but four boobies four okay. boobs 
Okay. <laughs> Two pairs. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Mm. Uh, anything else, uh, Lee? That is all. That is all. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk about the limey. And all I got to really say to uh, the people listening out there, if you don't come back when we come back. The high court may well sentence you to torture. Motion Picture Massacre. Fuck you. We talk about exploitation movies, grindhouse movies, fucking cult movies, horror movies, okay? We don't talk about fucking romantic comedies over here. We're not talking about fucking Sandra Bullock or some shit. We're talking about good movies, the kind that people like to watch. Yes!
All right, the Limey from 1999. We have a trailer. My name's Wilson. You wrote me about my daughter. This bloke she was bunked up with. Terry Valentine. What's he got to say for himself? You tell him. You tell him I'm coming. Tell him I'm coming. Jenny never told you about her dad. What dad? When I was in prison for nine years, he was released last month. As long as nobody can connect anything to me. I'm a really desperate man. I won't get to get what I'm after till the day I There we go. Directed by Steven Soderbergh. I think this is the first time we've done one of his films. Um, he, is, he is known for stuff like Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Kafka, Out of Sight, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, uh, the Ocean's Eleven movies, uh, 11, 12, and 13, uh, The Good German, uh, Shea, Part 1 and 2, about Shea Guevara, uh, Contagion, and even the uh, stripper movie, Magic Mike. So uh, there we go. Uh the writer here, Lim Dobbs, uh, he has worked with Soderbergh before on Out of Sight and uh, Kafka. Um, he's also written stuff like Romancing the Stone. And we have covered one of his movies before that he's wrote on uh, Dark City way back in the day. One of, one of our very first episodes, actually. Yeah. Uh, we have the great Terrence Stamp as Wilson. He's been in all kinds of stuff. Some of the stuff that you might recognize. The Collector, Superman 2 is probably his most recognizable role. Uh, General Zod in that. Uh, the Hit, Wall Street, Alien Nation, which we've done on the show. Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, if you're a big fan of that movie. And he was recently in The Excellent Last Night in Soho. So, uh Still going strong, and he's like in his 80s now. Uh, we got Leslie Ann Warren as Elaine. She's been in stuff like Clue, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, Secretary. Done a lot of TV work, kind of jumping back and forth between movies and TV, but she's been working constantly since like the 60s. The great Louis Guzman as Ed. Uh, we've covered him before in uh, Batteries Not Included. And you'll know him when you see him. He's been in everything, basically. <laughs> yeah. That's an understatement. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we got the excellent and just recently departed Barry Newman as Avery. Uh, most people know him, especially for uh, Vanishing Point, where he played uh, Kowalski in that. Important sort of counterculture and driving movie from the 1970s. Uh, great movie. People also highly regard his, uh, and I've never seen any episodes of this, but he's got the... Uh, TV series uh, Petroselli, where he played like a, a detective or something like that uh, for like 44 episodes or something. But it's it's fairly highly rated, I guess. Uh, and he's, you know, and he also sort of jumped between TV and, and movies quite a bit. Another notable movie he was in that I like, uh, Bowfinger from, from the 90s. Actually, just after this movie, yeah. I think. Yeah. Then we got Joe D'Alessandro as Uncle John. He was in Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula. So that popped my interest right there. The two Andy Warhol horror movies. He's also in The Cotton Club and even uh, John Waters' Crybaby. Um, 
which is probably a movie we'll end up doing at some point on this podcast. <laughs> we got the excellent underrated Nicky Cat as Stacy. He's been in tons of stuff, started as like a child actor. He was in like Gremlins, showed up in The Burbs, Sister Act, Days to Confuse, Strange Days, which we've covered on this podcast, uh, Batman and Robin, uh, Insomnia, School of Rock, Sin City. He was in the uh, both uh, movies in the Grindhouse double feature. And he was even in The Dark Knight, uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Of course, we have Peter Fonda as uh, Terry Valentine, and uh, we have covered him recently in Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, of course. Uh, we got Amelia Hinnell as Adhara, I guess is how you pronounce it. Um, not a big career that I recognize a lot of stuff from. The Honestly, the only thing I recognize her from is Quicksilver Highway, which is a shitty TV movie from 1997 that has a Clive Barker and a Stephen King story adapted as a TV movie. And it's not very good. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's a shame to hear. Yeah. It, it was, it was a real disappointment. And it's, it's got like, and it's got an interesting cast too. It's got like uh, Christopher Lloyd as sort of like the crypt keeper character who uh, sort of describes each, each tale and all that shit. But uh, yeah, we got Melissa George as Jennifer. We've covered her before in uh, dark city. Um, and she was in Mulholland Drive, uh, the remake of the Amityville horror Teristas and uh, 30 days of night. The uh, Vampires in the Arctic movie, which could have been way better than it was. And also, although he's uncredited for some reason in this movie, but we have the great Bill Duke as the head DEA agent. And uh, of course, we've covered him in Predator and Commando before. Uh, synopsis here from IMDb. Ex-con, fresh out of prison, goes to L.A. to try to learn who murdered his daughter. However, he quickly finds that he's completely out of place with no understanding of the culture he finds. His investigations are helped by another ex-con. Together, they learn that his daughter has been having an affair with a record producer who is presently having an affair with another young woman. An aging actress who also knew his daughter forces him to look at his own failures as a father. The movie does focus on drama of the situation and the interrelationships of the characters and seldom slips into an action piece. Well, I didn't ask for a review. I asked for a synopsis, but I guess he put a review in there as well. That's fine. But yeah, that kind of describes generally what, what the movie is about. But yeah, we'll get into it. Robbie, uh, like, what's the first time you saw this first and, and what's your general thoughts on it? So I actually saw this movie when it came out in the theater. Okay, cool. I, went, went, I remember going to see it. Uh, I was living in Atlanta at the time, and my wife and I were looking for a, a movie to go see, and as you know, a new Steven Soderbergh movie. So mm-hmm. we went to see it the weekend uh, that it came out and was just instantly a fan. Um, I was a little bit familiar with Terrence Stamp, uh, like from Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and mm-hmm. some other things. And um, then with Barry Newman and Peter Fonda. It's just you know, as a as a guy who likes Vanishing Point and Dirty Crazy uh, or Dirty uh, Larry, Dirty, Crazy, Crazy Larry. Larry yeah. the, I stumble over it all the time too. Yeah, I can't get that out. Uh, you know, like those sort of movies. This was right up my alley, and so had to go see it. And then you know, just loved it when I saw it. Cool, cool. Um, Lady Lee, I know. Is this is this a first time watch for you, Lee? Definitely watch through. Because you recommended it to me a while ago, and mm-hmm. I was watching it, and then I fell asleep halfway through. We need to watch it again. I never got the chance to. So this is the first time I watch it from beginning to end. Okay. So what are your uh, sort of general thoughts on it? I feel like I'm going to be hated for this, but I wasn't a fan. No? <laughs> no I'm sorry. 
It's okay. I wasn't a fan at all. Uh, I'm I, two for two with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need to stop bringing Rob on. <laughs> um, no, I just I uh, I couldn't get into it. I the acting felt kind of stiff to me. Like there was just scenes where I was like, it's it's not. It didn't. I don't know. Like the idea of you know they did the the scenes where they kind of cut to one scene and the next scene, but they're still talking mm. the same thing. Mm-hmm really frustrated me okay i didn't like that i think other people might have really enjoyed that like kind of creative aspect which i get but me personally it just drove me insane i also found it was a little bit kind of a slow go uh so again for me automatically like i have no attention span so it's very difficult for me to stay and i found this movie you had to focus on it like you had to understand Mm -hmm. what's going on so it couldn't be one of those ones where i can like play on my phone and then go back to the movie (laughs) (laughs) so i was having difficulties staying focused and it was funny because i was watching the movie and uh i could like tell i was like falling asleep so i was just watching the time to see what was left so if i fell asleep i could just go back there's one part i swear to you i watched it i didn't fall asleep but it feels like i fell asleep because i feel like i just went from one scene to the next scene i have no idea how the fuck i ended up there (laughs) i swore i fell asleep and then i was like i didn't fall asleep i know i didn't fall asleep (laughs) and i went back and i didn't fall asleep so yeah it was it was kind of that um I, I, I've seen um, I've seen Terrence and other stuff. I don't know why, but this one, when he talks, it felt like it was difficult for him to talk. Like something about it felt stiff and off and weird. Like he just didn't sound very like. It's I don't know. It just didn't sound right to me. Okay. That's just um, me. <laughs> no. I, honestly, it's probably not just you. If, if to be honest, like this movie didn't do very well. And I feel like probably more people than you would expect kind of had the same reaction as you did when they watched it like the first time. Uh, And I actually sort of had somewhat a similar opinion the very first time I watched it. I didn't instantly love this film. I liked it and I knew there was something about it I really liked. And it took two or three watches for me to find the really get into the groove of it. I'm not that patient. (laughs) (laughs) No, but like, so, so here's the thing, like this movie has this nonlinear storytelling device to it. Right. So I, although I feel like the film switches perspectives a couple of times, it mostly revolves around Terrence Stamp as Wilson. Mm -hmm. And what the movie is, is him remembering the events of the movie as they unfolded on his way back home on his plane ride. Right. So the way it's done, it's not done in the mode of like a traditional flashback. It's more how people actually remember things in real life. So like events that he's remembering, they'll overlap. He'll have images in his mind of things that happen, but he'll be remembering conversations differently. Sometimes he'll even fill in his probably his own images like we do. Like if someone tells you something, someone tells you information, you kind of imagine it in your head and it becomes part of like you remembering things. So like we often do envision things we we, we see second, you know, we hear secondhand. Um, I was going to say, uh, the movie did do a good job at making it look like a dream. Like, it made yeah. it look very, uh, not, like, very surreal. So it didn't feel, in the moment, it felt like someone was just, like, I, I, I thought, like, comic book or something, like, just some dreamlike type thing. Did do that well. And one of the scenes, too, where he goes in 
and he shoots the guy, but it's just him imagining shooting the guy, and he imagined it, like, different times. I thought that mm-hmm. was really cool, too. Like, that was something I did like about the movie. So there was stuff I did like. Oh, one thing that I think that this movie does really well that's kind of interesting, and, and they talk about it uh, on the commentary track, is that, you know, you said that it becomes apparent that what you're getting is this flashback of this event and it, it's kind of disjointed in the way it's put mm-hmm. together. It, it's not real linear, but th- this movie does a real good job showing someone thinking, mm-hmm. you know, th- that's, that's one of those things that's hard to convey in a movie. And there's a lot of, uh, especially Terrence Stamp silently sitting there yeah. and you, you hear conversation and you can, and you kind of get this thing that he is processing what has happened. Yeah, Even, yeah. Um, the use of like the handheld camera for a lot of the scenes kind of added more of an effect to to everything. So it added more of that um, surreal feel. So it wasn't just a movie; it just felt like you were watching someone's like memory. So yeah. So like like on, honestly, I'll give you like a perfect example of of like what we're trying to explain here to people listening. So there's there's a needle drop. There's a couple of really good needle drops in this film, by the way, of the you know classic '60s '70s type rock music. There's King Midas and reverse from the Hollies that drops at one point. I always, every time I think about this film, I always remember it dropping when he's on his way to his beach home to try to escape. And, you know, it's the opening shot of him with his girlfriend in the car and they're driving down the road. I always remember it as King Midas and reverse is when, is when that Mm -hmm. plays, but no, it's magic carpet ride that plays in that scene. But I always remember it differently because you just associate different things with different images in your mind. And that's kind of what Terrence Stamp's doing here. And I'll also mention, like, it flashes between the events that just happened and mostly stuff from, like, the 60s and 70s that he remembers. And that's kind of, like, the only times he's had any good, eventful memories in his life. And it's, it just seems to be this big black period where he just doesn't want to remember anything that, mm-hmm. that happened, like when he was in jail and shit like that. So he, he keeps flashing. He, he, he's kind of permanently living in the past, just like Terry Valentine kind of is, and remembering his daughter as she was as a little girl. Oh, almost don't yeah. think he knows what his daughter necessarily looked like as an adult, you know, like. Right. Because what they show whatever he thinks about her, he's thinking about her when she's about nine, mm-hmm. and and he's he's struck when he sees her picture, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and actually takes her picture because he probably doesn't have one of her, uh, you know, at that age at all. And it's kind of interesting, you know, if if you've got these characters that are, I think you're right, you know, like they are kind of stuck in the past, and to have two really or you know several really iconic actors from that period like you mm-hmm. you're gonna be hard pressed to find a more iconic you know late 60s early 70s actor than peter fonda right you know like to have someone who was like had his best days in that time period you know that that's kind of genius casting same with Terrence stamp yeah and like you know i i feel like the movie is very much about not to you know get super like deep with some sort of sociological like reading of it or whatever but it feels like it, there there is a thread of aging male vanity where they where they think they're more competent at what they do than they actually are and they're kind of like losing grip of the power they once had in their lives or the power they thought they had at the very least like terry valentine is you know used money to separate himself from all of his problems basically you know like he 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 doesn't get his hands dirty on anything he's 
they they allude to he made one drug deal to get his get himself out of financial trouble and and now that's coming back to haunt him um and you know his uh his relationship with barry newman's character avery uh, also an, an aging guy who he's a security expert, quote unquote, who's supposed to be like really good at his job, but you kind of learn he's not as competent as he might appear to be, you know? Right. You know, maybe in like 20 years ago, he could have pulled off like chasing Terrence Stamp and Eduardo, you know, uh, in the car and, and, and catching up with him and shit. But now he's like an old man who can't quite pull off the action scene anymore. And he's also just a guy who like, Oh, don't worry, Terry. I'll take care of it. I've got people, right. and he hires the two worst possible hitmen he could hire. <laughs> right. uh, Lim Dobbs, the writer, one of the things he said with uh, Barry Newman's character was that he wanted him and uh, Terry Valentine to be like an old divorced couple, and they so are. Yeah, like they're they kind of pick at each other. They know how to push mm-hmm. each other's buttons, uh, and yet. They're together still, you know. Yeah, because they kind of need each other, right? Yeah. Like they're just, they're just. It's very, it's more comfortable mm-hmm. their arrangement, even though you know they probably secretly they both hate each other pretty much. Right. Like they're they're sitting watching TV in the in the beach house there, and and Barry Newman's like picking like the pistachios or whatever, and then he's putting the shells back in the bowl, and <laughs> and Terry Valentine's like, "You putting those shells back in the fucking bowl?" Is like, yeah. "Yeah, so what?" Here he takes it out. You happy now? I kind of like those scenes because it made it feel more um, real. Mm-hmm. Well, so there's kinda... in that same scene though. There was one thing that I really liked about Terry Valentine's character is that like they're sitting there watching TV, and he's literally sitting right next to Barry Newman, and he tells him, "Find the remote and change the channel." Like yeah. he doesn't even change his own TV channel. Exactly. You know, he has someone yeah. who does it for him. Just someone who's very um, entitled. Yes, that's the thing. He's yeah. very entitled. He like and he and he didn't earn any of it. He just he made money off of like basically just sucking the life out of the '60s and made money off it. You you know he he's not the uh, he's not the freewheeling hippie that he 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 likes to you know the image he okay. likes to put on. Yeah, he, he he's very much just a cynical like um, his girlfriend says you're not really a person. You're more of a vibe. And like, I, I feel like that's kind of a real true statement in this movie. He's not really a person. He has no real like inner life that you can that you can see. He's, he's all sort of artifice. And and it's uh, it's a it's a great fucking characterization. And I love it. So I don't know if it's um, if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But every time I see Peter Fonda, I can't stand him. Yeah, <laughs> role he plays, and it might be a good thing because he always plays the asshole. So I, I think that I think that I think that this character, this for me, this character felt pretty close to how I imagine Peter Fonda is. <laughs> yeah, that, that there was something in that role that that spoke to him. I'll just put it that yeah, way. Yeah, I, I feel like Peter Fonda probably was a fairly cocky guy because he was he was you know like the george clooney of his time kind of thing you know like the the pretty boy actor Ugh, yeah. he's not even attractive even young him wasn't attractive i never <laughs> <been> attractive. <laughs> no <laughs> well uh, I, I won't i won't disagree with you there yeah. um he, he just grinds me a certain way. It worked for this character, though. Like, it worked perfectly for this character. Like, when he was, like, picking his teeth, I was like, ugh, you're gross. And he is such a, 
he's such a terrible character in this movie. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. and when they introduce him, he's talking to his girlfriend, whose name escapes oh, me, yeah. and he's talking about helping her parents name her. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's so. It, it becomes really apparent. Oh, you're 60 years old. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and she's so maybe gross. 20. So gross. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is what you call grooming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 you can see, you know, with with Terrence Stamp's uh, daughter before her, that's what he does. He just picks up young women, and he's got a type too, slender brunettes. Mm-hmm. Apparently, you know, like he, he just how many has he gone through in his life? You know, just just doing that shit. Right. Uh, um, Barry, New- Barry Newman's probably had to get rid of more than one. Yeah, I think he. Yeah, he, no, he uh, he alludes to the fact that he's hired Nikki Katz, um character before for other murders. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. So, so the, he's he's been he's been cleaning up Terry Valentine's shit for quite a while, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I I like uh, you mentioned how you didn't you didn't like how Terrence Stamp kind of delivered his lines in this movie. I, I actually really like it. I, I like how kind of cold and drawn drawn up he is like you know he's been he's a guy who's been in prison for a long time like he hasn't it didn't been... sound like that to me though it just sounded like no? someone who was trying to fake an accent who has an accent like it just sounded off like it just... well, i think he has a cockney accent in real he life he does but it just sounded like it was i don't know he was trying to to sound less confusing like hide his accent a bit i don't know there was something about it there was just something off about it like it just he it didn't sound right. Like it just, I've heard Cockney accents. I've heard British accents. I've heard all sorts of them. Like can be families from there. So I've heard tons of people. Fuck. I had someone at the restaurant today. Talk to me. Mm. I just, it, it didn't feel natural. There's something about it. Like it didn't, it wasn't cold. It just didn't feel natural. It just felt like One of the things going on in it is that he had a different way of speaking, depending on who he was talking to. So he was, mm. he was kind of put on, like when he spoke with Bill Duke, he was very much putting on a character of a, of a you know, low-level criminal who just got out of prison. You know, he, 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 had, he adopted a, a, a way of talking to him. And when it was someone that he was trying to intimidate or, you know, he, so, sometimes when he was trying to get information, he'd speak in a way that was intentionally confusing. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I think that part of that may have been that he was... I don't even think it was confusing. It was the delivery. It was literally just a delivery. Like, it didn't matter what he said or how he said it. It was the delivery. Like, everything, I don't know, just did not feel good. I liked it. I don't know. I, I, felt, I, I felt the acting was, like, not great. I just didn't feel any of it. There was a lot of people I just thought it was really stiff. It was like, okay, act. And that's what they did. Like, it just, it was a little soulless. I don't know. There was just something about it. Like, it just, it just felt a little bit stiff. Um, and that's not a British joke. <laughs> no, uh, I, I I will say like maybe if there is any sort of glaring weakness in it is that maybe some of the side characters get a little short shrift. You, you gotta kind of, I I feel like it, it helps with multiple watches. Like you get a bit more informed in who they are and what they're about. But like a first time pass to this movie, I feel like you'd watch this and you'd go. Louise Guzman and uh, what's her name? Um, blah, 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 blah. Leslie Ann Warren. Yeah, Leslie Ann Warren. Um, you, you'd feel like, why are they helping him? And like, you don't really learn too much about them, maybe in your first pass of the movie kind of thing. Like, they're just kind of there. I don't even wonder that. No? <laughs> it came to mind. <laughs> I told you, if there's too many things going on, my brain just doesn't. 
It's like, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, all I'll say is, like, maybe give it another chance. Because yeah. I, like... Well, I even thought the same thing when I first watched the first half. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, I don't know, I just something about it like even when uh not terrence um valentine like jumps off the the deck and runs through the rocks and breaks his ankle i laughed because it looked really fake <laughs> like it just looked so poorly done like when he like turned around and he was scared and like ran it just looked so i don't know just i almost wonder if they had to do so many takes for all the fucking scenes where they keep redoing everything that the actors just got tired because it just it wasn't there for me yeah. it just it lacked, it lacked something. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I cringed when I saw that ankle break. <laughs> yeah. I cringe every time I see it. I, I just, I don't know. It's poorly executed for me. No. Well, no, I, I, I really, I really like Terrence Stamps' gangster slang. Yeah. I, I like uh, how he does that kind of rhyming cockney gangster thing where they they have like different code words for different mm-hmm. sayings and stuff like that. Like you see that in other movies. Like sexy beast and yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. notably around this time. Calling uh, Louis Guzman China, you know, mm-hmm. his his China plate, his mate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where he mistakes uh, the uh, the what you call them for for parking cars, um, <laughs> right? Yeah, the valets. He, the valets. He thinks they're all like bodyguards and shit. Uh, I, I like it because there's a culture clash thing here, right? Because he's been away in prison, and so he's just stepping into a different world, really, and the American gangsters he runs into don't treat him seriously because they think he's just this weird little old man who speaks in a foreign language, basically. So, like, you know, when they when he lets himself get beat up and shit so he can get information about uh, the these guys' connection to Valentine and and find out how it's connected to Jenny, he, he you know, he kind of plays the fool. You're right. Like, he, he kind of puts on a role there and allows himself to get worked over and then, you know, walks back and shoots them all like it was nothing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I like that. When he's walking back, he, he has a swagger as he's walking back into mm-hmm. the warehouse. It's like, ah, this isn't the first time that he's done this. Right, and exactly. Just... I like the opening introduction to Peter Fonda's character where like, you get a bunch of these shots like it's almost a Terry Valentine show or something. You just don't have the credits over it. It's like it's almost like you're watching a TV show about his character or something. I find I find it, you know, there's, there's interesting little parallels here, like how Valentine and Wilson both made their money from rock and roll. It's just... Uh, you know, Valentine was a record producer, and <laughs> Wilson knocked off uh, a Pink Floyd concert, stealing right. receipts or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think the ending is pretty satisfying too. Like it, it's uh, you know, at the end, you almost kind of wonder when he's when he's on the plane ride back and he's remembering all this stuff that maybe he's, you know, it's kind of a sad ending because he's kind of maybe unsatisfied in the end. Like he learned that revenge was not yeah. gonna fix anything like he he learns that the way he led his life kind of led jenny to where she ended up and and valentine realizes the same thing kind of like they that's why he spares him in the end because he realized killing him is not going to make anything better yeah i thought this was a really interesting sort of meditation on that of of revenge because it it he realizes this is all my fault you know, like the this has played out this way, and my daughter ended up the way she did because of me. Yeah. And it it robs like there is no joy there, or not that it would be joy, but there's no satisfaction in revenge for him because it's 
it's his own fault. And so that plane ride back, what he's thinking, you know, just trying to put thoughts to, you know, what, what he's, what he's pondering there is, is, uh, I don't know. For me, that was one of those things that I spent a lot of time thinking is like, what, what's going through his head there at that point. Yeah. You kind of wonder if it's like, it's, if he's going to maybe change for the better or, or if he's just going to like go back to Britain, like a broken man who, you know, doesn't, Probably. Yeah. yeah, maybe. You know, like, Since the average person doesn't actually seek help when they need help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and someone who is in a situation like that, where he feels like he caused his own daughter's death, yeah. definitely is going to have some repercussions. And mm. he's an ex-prisoner, which also leaves you in more uh, yeah. distress than when you first came into prison. Yeah, because like the, the hook of it is is that we learned that Jenny always used to threaten to call the cops on him when he was, you know, in the height of his like doing doing jobs and robbing shit and, and things like that, but she never did. She you know because she loved her dad and everything and just just wanted them to stop. And she was doing that as a try as a way to deal with him. And she does the same thing with Terry Valentine. Like she she was never going to actually call the cops on him. She was just threatening it to like to get him to stop because that's the only way she knew how to deal with guys like this who do this shit. Right. Um, and so you know, they both they both kind of realize at the end that oh fuck our silly vanity got in the way of what was important. And shitty people. Yeah, just shitty people. Like they did shitty things and yeah, and and they and they both paid for it. They both probably mm-hmm. got rid of the best thing going in their lives. Valentine went on to the next one. <laughs> I I, no, I I I don't feel like he recovers from this. Quite frankly, like there's too many dead bodies at this point. Like. You know, he, he's got to crawl off that beach, a, a beach house with like, what, seven dead people in it. And, and no one gets arrested for any of this. Yeah, just maybe. <laughs> it's just, yeah, cool. You want to kill a bunch of people? Yeah. Go for it. I, I But I, I do like that they, you know, they, they throw in the little angle of the uh, the hitmen. Like they get they get released or whatever, you know, on parole or whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah. And they decide, you know what, we're going to fuck shit up. We're just going <laughs> to we're, we're going to go there and, and, and get ours, you know. I thought that was a nice little touch that the 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 uh, hitmen are just like, yeah, we're we're just going to be wild cards. We're going to go in here and we're going to uh, do our own thing and and just kind of be a monkey wrench. Yeah, mm. the suitcase is either going to have money, drugs, or both. Yeah, yeah. and like yeah, Nicky Cat, like he's a great like shithead character. Like he's this you know wise cracking asshole who's always got to say something. He's always got something snarky to say about everything, and. They don't. They don't actually mention it in the film. I guess it was like a cut part of the movie or whatever. But he's listed as his uncle. His his partner there is supposed to be his uncle in the in the film. So his uh, slower uncle, Uh-oh. I guess. <laughs> yeah, the one he's playing pool with. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what, what do they call him here, Uncle? Uh, why is my cast list looking like this? I don't know. I, I think I deleted some shit by mistake, but. Um, professional podcaster here folks you were just causing all sorts of shit today Mm -hmm. never mind me showing up 20 minutes late (laughs) (laughs) um i'm sad that you didn't like it as much uh lady lee i love this film um Uh, it just i was there was there was uh there was a good idea so i'm gonna say right now uh well i didn't like the movie i thought the directive um directive direction mm-hmm. <laughs> that they took was actually interesting because the idea was to make it seem like he was having memories of what had happened <laughs> and i think they did that really well i think how they had the angles how they use the camera work how they kind of like cut things up 
it did. It very much seemed like those, like I'm thinking in the past or I'm thinking about stuff. So it seemed more of a memory than it did like a, a watching a movie. So that I thought was really cool. And then, like I said, it felt at parts like a comic book. So you're just kind of like reading the person's life. You're watching the images. Um, just look at how the scenes and how they were talking. So that's just how I felt. So those mm-hmm. things I thought were positive. It's just everything else. <laughs> just <laughs> I, I, The acting just didn't. There were so many things that I was like, this is just not. I can't get into this acting. I think it's really poor. Like okay. and most most yeah. of them. Like I said, the accent thing, I just could not shake it off. Mm-hmm. There was just something about it that threw me off, which is not his fault it's just i feel like an asshole saying it like, no no we'll, don't we'll, have we'll an not, accent well i'll find i'll find Terrence stamp i'll let him know that his his, yeah. his, his british know, accent is not up to par it it's it sounded no there's nothing wrong about how it sounded it's just how it was like projector how he was just saying stuff just didn't feel right like just how his, it was the acting it was literally the acting okay okay <laughs> no that's fair if you didn't like it you didn't like it you know. and yeah the, the story just i don't know I just wasn't into it. It just, I don't know. Just no, fair enough. <laughs> no. just... Anything else you wanted to mention uh, about it, uh, Robbie? Um, oh, okay. nothing leaks to, uh, leaps to mind right now. Is uh, uh, not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what he means to say is no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But needless to say, you like it probably as much as I do. If, if oh yeah, I, yeah. I, I really enjoy this movie. It's one of I. It's one that I can watch all the time. And uh, sorry, Lady Lee, <laughs> it's just mm. you know, it's it's. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I feel bad. This is like two for two with you that I've been it's on here. Right. I, I kind of like being the the other person. Oh, yeah. I'm not side. bringing another Peter Fonda movie to you. I'll put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's probably maybe that was it. I saw Peter Fonda. I was like, I'm done with this. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's fun being on the other side. <laughs> you yeah. gotta have somebody who like throws a wrench in your plans. <laughs> one thing, I noticed one thing when I was watching the movie tonight uh, or this afternoon mm-hmm. that I had never noticed before. But you know, there's a scene where he's walking past the uh, brick, the red brick wall, and and he's in an out. He's kind of in an alleyway right before he goes into into the scene with the shooting. Um, mm-hmm. The, that's the same alleyway that uh, is in Jackie Brown, where Sam Jackson shoots Robert De Niro. Oh, really? Yeah, I, oh. I, I froze the screen and like pulled up a screenshot and compared them. It's like, oh yeah, same alley. Nice, nice. <laughs> cool. I did not know that. And that didn't even. I don't think that even pops up in the IMDb yeah. trivia or anything like that. Yeah, neat. All right. So uh, budget for this was ten million. Only did a box office three point two million, so a lot of Lady Lees watched it. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, world. I'm sorry, Terrence. <laughs> Just picking on you. It's okay. Uh, release info for this you can find it anywhere. Like it, it's everywhere. 4K, Blu-ray, DVD, iTunes, Google Play, Microsoft Store, Amazon Prime, Vudu. You can get free on archive.org, and it's also on YouTube. So there you go. A little bit of trivia here. Neat little device here that they did, by the way, that we didn't mention. Um, footage from the 1967 movie Poor Cow, which has uh, Terrence Stamp in it, is used as part of the flashback material. So, you know, we get in, in the context of this film, it's, oh, it's him with his wife and his daughter back in the back in the day. And, you know, he, he remembering that and some of the happiest moments of his life before, you know, he got sent away to jail and shit. Although, like, the scene where he's in the courtroom 
and he's looking up at his daughter they like digitally put that actress's face in there when it when really it's it's like his girlfriend or whatever in the film mm-hmm. is, is supposed to be looking down I, I saw poor cow quite a while back and i was it's a movie <laughs> it's okay <laughs> every time uh steven soderbergh showed his, a version of his film the lim dobbs the writer the screenwriter told the director he wasn't going far enough with the fragmented way soderbergh chose to tell the straightforward story dobbs understands why soderbergh did it this way while the screenwriter notes some feel the film is derived from 1967's Point Blank. He thinks it takes notes from many films of the 60s, as well as certain experimental films. Soderbergh t- uh, notes he was looking for a way to make t- the l- delivery of information to the audience less traditional, which I, he definitely succeeded with. Um, and Dobbs believes the fragmented nature to be more of a literary device than cinematically stylish. I forgot to mention that. Like This kind of plays also like you, you can see this in a novel, right? You can see the, the, the way this is done. Apparently there were scenes with Anne Margaret that were shot with Peter Fonda. Uh, that were cut. Uh, I guess Anne Margaret was to play like his ex-wife in the film. These scenes were not used in completed films. The director felt they had already established Fonda's creepiness adequately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the first yeah. sentence yeah. he says. Nailed that one. <laughs> d- d- I helped your parents name you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right there. Right there. That alone. You didn't even need to add anything else. That screams creep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Barry Newman states in a commentary track that the that there was a line cut making clear that Avery deliberately does not shoot Wilson when he has a chance due to Valentine having abandoned him, which you, you can you can kind of see it in the film anyway, where he's just like he, he gets shot and he, you can tell he's like he's in pain, but he's also like shaking his head like, oh, I fucked up. And and then Valentine sees him, takes his gun and runs off. And he's like, right. you fucker, you know, like yeah. he, he's done with him. Kind of thing. Yeah, rather than help him, he just takes the gun and runs off. Yeah. It just shows his superficialness and his neediness mm-hmm. and shittiness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that fucking Peter Fonda. Um, and apparently the original screenplay envisioned the main character would be played by Michael Caine, which, you know, could have worked, but feels like it's a little on the nose. Like, it, you know, like Michael Caine's almost too, too obvious a choice for, mm-hmm. for the character. I think, I think Terrence Stamp is a neat little wild card to throw in here. If it was a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to say something. <laughs> Um, yeah. Other people enjoyed it. So, like I said, there were some creative takes. I could see how it can be. Just me personally, it wasn't my thing. Yeah, yeah no, it's fair enough. I, I don't know. I find Terrence Stamp watchable in almost anything. It's just one of those, it's like he's entertaining to look at, I think. Mm-hmm. Just, just for me. As long as he doesn't speak. As long as he doesn't speak. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> all right so not I, I guess next time we're going to be doing your pick uh lady lee for um for a movie uh originally we had we had two choices and originally you wanted me to oh put it up as a poll for people to pick and then i saw the version of one of the movies that was available and i was like we're not doing that like the, the only good version was like it looked like a vhs copy that someone took a shit on so um we're we're we're, we're, we're gonna go with the uh I can't even think of the name of it right now. It's the one with the prehistoric people, the sex oh, comedy. Oh, the men, then women, men do this, women do that? Yeah, when women were dead ding-dongs or something. I don't know what the fuck it was called, but it, it's, it's dumb. Play, women play with ding-dongs? Something like that, yeah. 
some ridiculous it's, title yeah yeah well we'll we'll see what we uh think of that one I but think uh, it's really bad I totally agree. I think it's easy it's to probably going to be really bad. Yeah, but Robbie, uh, thanks so much for being here. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's always a pleasure, and uh, we'll have you back again next time. We have you back. We were talking about it. We're going to do the Grifters, which um, is one Robbie's wanted to do for for a while now. So uh, yeah, well, we'll have oh, him back. I, sorry, I what? found it. It's, uh, when men carried clubs and women played ding dong. There you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, Robbie, if there's anything like any recent podcast appearances or anything like that you want to plug, uh, go right ahead. Sure, I've got a um, uh, grind bin in the can uh, for uh, uh, hasn't come out yet, but uh, Corvette Summer did that, and then the latest uh, Mustachio Podcastio uh, doing tortilla soup. Uh, yeah. So that just came out this week. Sounds well, delicious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll put that one in the uh, we'll put that one in the show notes as well. A link to Daniel's podcast, and uh, yeah, uh, I was talking to Robbie off off the air. And it's like sometimes the grind bin uh, puts a puts a podcast recording in the can for a while. Uh, so we figure we're uh, one of my recent appearances on there as well. We're we're probably both going to get dumped in like September or something like yeah. that. Yeah, we're gonna be Thanksgiving. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> Lady Lee. Anywhere people can find you? Anything? You can find me on Instagram at Mighty Tiny All Star, uh, where I update you on podcasts when I feel like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find all of our episodes. And uh, you know, join the Facebook group if you want. They must be destroyed inside on Facebook, and that's where you can find out what's going on in the podcast and interact with us and all that good stuff. Uh, But until then, again, thank you, Robbie. Thank you, Lee. And thank you all for listening. We very much appreciate it. And we will see you guys again when we see you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. For further episodes of this podcast, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts and pretty much any podcatcher that you can find. Thank you. Drive through.